0: Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, I'm Anne. Today I have Laurie Hall with me. She is the author of An Affair of the Mind, which was the first book on sex addiction written from a partner's perspective. It broke ground in a world that saw the partner as a codependent, just as sick in her own way as the addict which we know is not true and Laurie knew at the time wasn't true and she refused to accept that view and advocated strongly for partners saying that they had been betrayed and traumatized that they were victims which of course we know that we are so Laurie has used her book and experience to become a voice for partners she's been a guest on over 200 radio and television shows including Focus on the Family, Moody, the 700 Club, she's also done television and radio including being interviewed by Laura Ingram, Extra, Lisa Gibbons, Diane Reen, and many others. In addition, she's spoken to many colleges and a wide variety of churches across the country and Canada. She was the first woman to speak at a Promise Keepers event because porn was the number one reason that men went forward for prayer at, at Promise Keepers events. Lari is APSATS trained and a member of the International Coaches Federation and a licensed spiritual coach. She facilitates partner groups and does individual coaching as well. She's currently revising and updating an affair of the mind for re-release early next year. I am honored to have you on the show today. Welcome, Lari.
1: Oh, I'm honored to be with you. This is a really exciting thing that you're doing here at Betrayal Trauma Recovery. It's awesome.
0: We met in person a few weeks ago, and that was an honor. So we've been having this discussion around a crisis of faith that many partners experience when they find out about their husband's sexual addiction and the abusive behaviors surrounding that. We are going to explore this further. So Laurie, in your book, you write about how prayer helped you discover your husband's addiction. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yes, this is a great place to start the discussion of Uh, How this whole issue can lead to a spiritual crisis. Because I knew there were problems in my marriage, but I didn't know what it was that I was dealing with. My ex husband grew up on the mission field. He had a White House security clearance when I met him. Everyone who knew him said, Oh, he's a super nice, squeaky, clean guy. So I really thought that I was marrying a Boy Scout, but there was just this sense that something wasn't right. And I kept trying to figure out what it was. And I went to my church for help because as a young Christian woman, I wanted to know how to do marriage God's way. And I was told that I just needed to submit more, that I needed to support him more, that I needed to pray for him more. And every remedy that they gave me, Put me further and further under. You know, at one point I thought, well, they said you're too strong. If you were not as strong, he would be stronger. And I just kept thinking, well, wait a minute. I've read all the books. I've become a fascinating woman. I've become a total woman. I've become the he's from Home Depot, she's from Walmart woman. And nothing was working. It was still just the sense that something was wrong. I decided that I was going to. Put all the outside advice outside and spend time. Back in scripture, which I already was a student of the Bible, but I was reading the Bible based on what other people told me it meant. So I began Mm -hmm. to really go into the word and I really started to pray, you know, Lord, if in anything I'm otherwise minded than Christ Jesus, show me what it is and show me what's going on in my marriage because I know there's something and I don't know what it is, but I know you know. What it is, because you are the God of all truth. So show me what the truth is. And I prayed this for years, actually. And part of what had to happen for me was I had to come to a different understanding that I had of who God is before I could even grasp the truth of what was going on in my relationship. So I began to see God in a bigger, more empowering, more loving way as I studied the word. And then I decided I would start fasting. And so the first time I fasted, I got this impression in my head that was almost like a voice saying to me, there's three problems in your marriage. The first one is your husband's taken $350 that don't belong to him. The second one is he's committing adultery. And the third is he has a lot of pride. At that point, I was like, okay, this is what comes of trying to fast and pray. You've now gone completely nuts because you're hearing a voice. You know, I was like, yeah. why did you do this to yourself? Because obviously, none of that can be true. I married a Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, shortly after that, I found out about the $350. He confessed that he had a lot of pride. And that left this little nasty thing in the middle, which was the adultery. And I said, I think you're committing adultery. And he said, oh, no, I would never do that. You're a horrible person for believing that. Why would you even accuse me of that? You're probably the one doing it. I continued to pray and seek the Lord. And eventually, I started having dreams. And I started having dreams where I would see exactly what was going on. Then I decided that what I was going to do was accept that this is the truth. Whether I had any evidence of it or not, because my husband hid everything, even his best friend who worked with him didn't know what he was doing. I began to journal, I used the 12 steps, I said, I admit that my life is out of control, because my husband is cheating on me. And I don't know what to do about it. But I'm turning it all over to God. And one day, as I was praying, and just sobbing, the phone rang, and it was a woman I barely knew. And she said, God has heard your prayers and seen your tears, and he's going to heal you. And within less than an hour, there was a phone call from a credit card company that I did not know my husband had a credit card with. And there was a past due payment. And that's how the truth came out.
0: Wow. I am so impressed because I was having dreams, nightmares. And I just thought, I was crazy. And I had this like super intense sense of dread that I told my husband about. And I was like, I have the worst sense of dread. I really think something bad's going to happen. And then in the same breath, without listening to him or without waiting for his response, I said, Ah, I just must be crazy. Right. I just kind of dismissed it. So I am like so impressed that you we're like no i am going to take these dreams and th- these feelings that i have as the truth that is gutsy
1: well you know let me let me back up and tell you how not gutsy i was and what actually forced me to that position because just like you i thought i was going nuts i actually one day climbed into bed put the covers over my head and started running my finger up and down my mouth like and i said i am going crazy because part of me is saying there's something wrong, and this is what it is. And the other part of me doesn't know how that could possibly be true. And therefore, I'm choosing to ignore what I've asked God to show me. And so I'm going to have to take a giant leap of faith and say, this is the truth. And if I'm wrong, hey, I'll own it. But from here on out, I'm not second guessing myself anymore. So I get it, girlfriend. I, I was there. It was that period well, it I was going to go crazy that made me
0: say, yes, I'm accepting the truth. That is amazing. If every woman did that, this world would be so different. Not that we can blame ourselves because obviously we're doing the best we can in the situation. But I just think if every woman would say, you know what, I'm going to trust myself and I'm going to trust God like that would be a huge breakthrough for humanity. If every woman listening can be like, you know what? I'm going to be willing to learn what the truth is from God, straight from God and then trust it. Holy cow. Like that's Man,
1: I completely agree with you on that. Part of the reason why women have a difficult time accepting the truth aside from the fact that can we say it How awful is it that your worst nightmare is actually true? Okay. I mean, this is not the thing you wake up to and accept. Okay. It's an awful, awful thing. I mean, the ground drops underneath your feet. On the one hand, you're really happy to know you weren't nuts. On the other hand, you're like, I really really wish I would have been nuts because this new reality is something I don't want to deal with. But we are not trained how to live in the spirit. This was a really big aha for me. Because when I came to realize I have a body that has senses in it, it has the sense of touch, sight, taste, hearing, smell. And through those senses, I experience the physical world. I have a soul, which allows me to know my internal world. And those senses are my mind, my will, and my emotions. But I also have a spirit. And it is through my spirit that I know God and that I experience others in a transcendent way where deep connects to deep. And this has nothing to do with what I can see with my eyes, but it is an inner knowing that we have. And our spirit senses are conscience, intuition, and communion. And we're designed to operate from the spirit into the soul and out into the body. So when we intuit something it is really god speaking to us the absolute truth and the idea would if we're operating in, in a healthy way is then we take that information into our mind and provide instructions for our mind based on what our conscience tells us this is a good situation or this is not a good situation and then the will tells the body what to do in response and as the body follows these instructions Our emotions are at peace because we're in integrity. One of the ways we can know that we're not in integrity, and I don't mean this in the sense of we're intentionally doing something we know is wrong, but where we are second-guessing our spirit, because when our mind doesn't have the facts, we argue. The spirit and the mind argue with each other. You know what I mean? It's like, no, that can't be true. I have no evidence. Yes, it is true, because God sees it as it really is. But our mind doesn't see it. I mean, I only saw porn in our home one time. And we were married for 33 years. It was one time. So I had no physical evidence. As you know, this particular addiction, there's no needle marks. There's no telltale breath. It's very easy to hide. Yeah. What I tell women is when your emotions are a mess, it is a sign that your spirit is arguing with your soul because your soul... Doesn't have any facts to back up what your spirit is sensing, and so you're second guessing yourself. But if you will say, "What I'm sensing, I'm going to accept that as true until proven otherwise," and then start lining your actions up with that, you will find peace in the midst of the storm.
0: Wow, this is cool. I love you.
1: I love I'm you. so glad. You're
0: on. <laughs> I love you.
1: It only took me twenty <gasps> years to figure that out. So. <laughs> When did you write your book? What year was it? It came out in
0: 1996. 1996, man. And how old are you? 66. I'm not a teenager anymore, girlfriend. I'm just thinking, man, like I know so many women who are your age or older who went through this. And they of no fault of their own didn't know what was going on didn't understand it, you know, were abused like for years. I am just in awe that You're part of this generation of women who were caught in all the cultural issues, all of the misogynistic type things that at the time were very common that you couldn't even see. Mm -hmm. And you had this head on your shoulders to see this thing straight. You're like a hero. You're my she Good job. Way to go. <laughs> well, I think a lot of other women saw it, but they didn't write a book. Well, like a lot of women kind of figured out what was going on. But then it was super scary to speak out about it back then. And it still is now. I mean, yeah. sometimes even now people think I'm crazy. But um, <laughs> so once you knew about your husband's addiction, did you go to your church for help? And if you did, what happened?
1: Yes, I did. As a woman of faith, I wanted to handle this God's way. I can remember saying, what are the rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? And so I went to my church. I entered a buzzsaw when I did that. I was told things like, well, I needed to pray for him. I was the more spiritually mature, and therefore it was my responsibility to pray for my husband. And then if I would just pray for him and trust God, that he would become a man who would stand at the gates. Okay. They quoted Proverbs for me. That was my job. To create that in him. I was told that I needed to be more sexually available. I was told that um, I had to be more submissive, that no matter what he said or did, I needed to trust God in the middle of all of that. I can remember sitting there in my pastor's office, and I just wanted him to say, adultery is wrong. That's all I wanted him to say. He didn't have to give any magic solutions, or I just wanted him to say to me, what has happened to you is wrong. And instead, he was telling me that it was obvious why my husband was doing this, because I was such a strong woman, and was totally lined up with my husband. I can remember going to a Christian counselor, and my husband had taken some money from one of our children. And as part of his making amends, he was supposed to apologize and return the money. Just before we went to see the therapist the next time, this child came to me and said, You know, dad still hasn't dealt with this issue. And this child was sobbing. I mean, it's breaking my mother's heart to see my child suffer like that. So, we went to see the therapist. My ex husband went in first. And when I got in, the therapist was thrilled because my husband had cooked up this story about how he had gone to the child and apologized giving the money back and everything was great. And I sat there with my mouth open and I said, um, uh, no, no, that's not what happened. And he's like, what? And I said, no, that none of that happened. And this is where the church is so naive. And believe me, I'm not trying to slam Christianity. And this therapist said, well, he wouldn't lie to me. And what he was really saying is the reason why he lies to you is because you're too hard on him. You're not on his team. And if you would just be on his team, he wouldn't need to lie to you. But I'm on his team and he knows I'm on his team. So he wouldn't lie to me.
0: Right. Like you're the problem. You cause his lying, right? Exactly. That's
1: it. I have worked with hundreds of women. And I've received so many letters and so many of them tell similar stories. I've had women who were suicidal because their church disciplined them because they dared to go and try to get help. I've had women who were excommunicated. They're shamed. They're made to be accountable to another woman in the church for whether they're properly submitting and praying for their husband. And are they giving their husband sex? Because, of course, that's a woman's responsibility. You know, don't withhold yourself. And I want to believe these people are well-intentioned, although at some point I began to doubt, especially when I saw the size of the problem in the leadership of the church, because many, many, many pastors have this issue. They're so naive about how real life operates that they have this fantasy that if we just do A, B, and C, then everything is going to be okay, and that marriage is all about roles instead of relationship. So they teach marriage as and therefore you know the husband is ahead of the home the wife is to submit to him the children are to obey the parents what it does is it creates dysfunction because you don't learn how to be in a real relationship when marriage is all about power who has the most power there's no training in communication skills listening skills, negotiation skills, conflict resolution skills how to be truly intimate with each other how to really recognize and celebrate each other's strengths and how to support each other in weakness. Because if somebody's weak, especially if they're at the top, everybody's gonna be scared because they're gonna be vulnerable. Instead of this is a team effort. Let's pull our resources here.
0: I always felt like I was on the same team with my husband, my ex now, but that he was always in competition with me. Yes. I couldn't understand that. And I thought, well, we're on the same team. Like, I'm trying to solve a problem. Let's solve it together. Yes. But he didn't like the resolution of the problem if it wasn't his idea or he didn't do it or if he didn't get credit for it. And then I found him taking credit for the things I had done. Yes. Instead of saying, oh, my wife did this. She's amazing. He took credit for it himself. I started to be really bothered. We're not on a team. Like, he sees me as some kind of minion, like to set him up higher and higher, or the better I look, the better he looks not the better we look. Does that make sense? It
1: totally does. You can see how that worldview feeds into the narcissism of the addict. Mm-hmm. The whole yeah, goal is to be admired, right?
0: Right. And the more you love them and forgive them and submit and serve and all of those things, the more their abusive behaviors are getting them what they want. Lundy Bancroft talks over and over again about how the reason why men use these abusive behaviors, manipulation, lying, etc., is because they get stuff out of it. Mm -hmm. If they didn't get anything out of it, then they wouldn't do it, number one. And number two, unless they stop getting something out of it, they're not going to stop. That's right. Yeah, it's working for them. So the whole love forgiveness service type stuff, which are all wonderful values. But when misused as a way to get someone to love you or to stop abuse, Mm -hmm. or to stop adultery, it does not work. The abuser just continues to get all of the things that they want and need and they have none of the accountability. In fact, the women are held accountable, like what you said. Yes,
1: and that's a sad thing. You know, these women are going into a church with all male leadership. You know, and this is really hard to talk about, in, because I mean, my relationship with God is very important to me, and I don't want to needlessly put the church in a bad light. I'm just saying, talking to hundreds of women, and there are some pastors who do a fabulous job, fabulous job, of supporting wives. But there are some institutional things that happen in the church that make it harder for the wife to get the support she needs and for the addict to get the help he deserves to walk into freedom. And then you couple that with the fact that uh, a recent Barna Group survey showed that 57% of pastors and 64% of youth pastors struggle with porn or have struggled with porn. She could actually be talking to somebody who has the very same problem her husband has and not know it. And it becomes like clubbing baby seals. There's these women are so vulnerable, it just breaks my heart what happens
0: to them. And they get further abused by their church leadership. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it is painful. And it's wrong. Yes. And it is wrong. I'm so excited about the time we're in right now, though, with the Harvey is it Weinstein? Weinstein? Oh, yes, Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein. I don't know how to say it, but all these women who are all of a sudden being like, I can speak up, and women who are being taken seriously, and women who before people maybe said they were crazy, now it's coming out. No, all the things this quote unquote crazy woman said were true. Yeah. It's an exciting time. And it's really exciting because women are becoming more and more healthy. And that will enable and help the men to become more healthy, too, because I envision a time where men are accountable for their behaviors, yes. where they are responsible and fantastic husbands and fathers. Mm-hmm. And that is what everyone wants, right? It's not like where want, like, the demise of the male sex, we just want, we don't them want them. to No, we want them to step up to the plate and become men. And we want to be women. <laughs> Yeah, I love the idea of being
1: loved. I love the idea of mm-hmm. being in a close relationship with a strong man. Mm-hmm. That just makes me feel all kinds of feminine when I'm with a man mm-hmm. who has really good character, who knows how to treat me, uh, who I can sense is genuine. Now, genuine, not perfect, because if he's trying to look like he's perfect, there's probably a problem.
0: I know. It's like, oh, you know? scary, scary. Yeah. Yeah. So, this
1: is how we grow together. This is the beauty that. God wants for us. And you're right, we are living in a very exciting time because the cover is being pulled off of this stuff. And more and more is going to come out more. I really believe that this is the time where God is going to pull the cover back and give us opportunities to become who he truly created us to be, which is loving beings. I mean, that is what the whole purpose of being here is. It's about loving one another. You know, those who love are living in God. That's that's one of the teachings of Scripture. And if we're not really loving each other, we're really not even experiencing God in any real way.
0: And if we don't have integrity, we're not experiencing God in any real way either. The true, like living our truth, living in the truth, right?
1: Absolutely. You bring up such a fabulous point because recently I've been going to a lot of church conferences and I'm listening to pastors say that the way we deal with this issue is we just draw closer to Jesus. We substitute the pleasure of porn for the pleasure of being with Jesus. I want to say, okay, hello, hello. We're talking about the way. We're talking about the truth. We're talking about the life. First of all, drawing closer to the Lord is about actually living in truth, as you just so brilliantly said, Anne. It's about living in what is true. It's about, as we know and rely on the love God has for us, and know that we live in love then we're made complete so that we can love others, that it's really about the one another, about being close mm-hmm. to others. That's how we truly express our spirituality. And Jesus even said that. He said, when you feed the hungry or the thirsty or clothe the naked or visit someone in prison, you're doing that as if you were doing it to me. So this thing about a relationship with God that is some kind of... I want to have this come out, right? And I'm just starting to see this in a bigger way. It's almost like they're teaching to replace the fantasy of porn with the fantasy of an imaginary relationship that happens in your mind. Instead of how we treat each other, how we see God Mm -hmm. all around us right here, right now, and rejoice in that and love one another and respect one another, instead of, this checking out where I'm having a magical relationship in my head with someone Mm -hmm. as a substitute for actually having a real relationship with a real human being. And I hope that doesn't come across as being heretical, but I really think it's part of the key girlfriend because we're still teaching men to dissociate. Yeah. To dissociate because it all happens in their mind instead of this place of vulnerability where we're naked before each other and loving each other and feeling what it is to be truly loved.
0: That's awesome. You're very emphatic.
1: <laughs> I am, I feel it so strongly. because <laughs> 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 I'm sitting here pounding. I love it. Because, you know, That's here's great. why. Because I see the hunger and the thirst in these men to want to be whole. They want to be whole. Yeah. And they're looking for a way to make it happen. And it's really about learning how to be in real intimate relationship. That's where the wholeness is.
0: Well, if you just respected him more, and if you just loved him more, and if you just did more laundry, (laughs) right? Oh, I had more sex. Don't forget that part. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) the sex. You know, there's a leader in our church that said, I'm gonna hammer this, but He said, true religion, undefiled before God, is helping the poor and the widows and the orphans. And these men, through their actions, which are ungodlike, are creating widows and orphans. They are leaving their wives or their wives have to say, you can't be around us anymore because they're so unhealthy. The opposite of that would be really taking care of a woman so she does not become a porn widow, making sure that you are a good husband and father so that you do not leave your children fatherless. And it is based on action, not your ideal version of what you are like based on all the scriptures you can quote. Mm -hmm. Or all the prayers that you can say in church to make you look beautiful. It's actually what your real relationship is like with your wife and with your children. Yes, Women who are truly loved and cherished, love and cherish their husbands. Yes, they do. They love and cherish their husbands even when they're being abused by their husbands. Yes. Yes, they do. They just want their family to work, you know.
1: In fairness, in fairness, I've met some women who are real horror shows. (laughs) So, I mean, it's not all in the men. It's really about this whole thing of, you're right, faith without works is dead. We can talk a good talk, but how do we walk the walk? The church needs a theology of trauma that understands that the pursuit of justice is a godly pursuit and one that allows us to reestablish trust where it's been broken because a theology of trauma understands that there's a difference between forgiveness and restoration and between grace and calling a thing a thing so that grace can much more abound. You now, it says in Isaiah 117, to learn to do right, to seek justice, to defend the oppressed, to take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. And then you're so right. We are porn widows. And the church is called to be salt and light in matters of justice. And if the church would just do this, if they would just stand for living in truth and support what is true, then I really, truly believe that we would be able to restore families because there would be a path forward. Yeah, there is no path
0: forward without accountability. No. None. Well, I so appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much for being here, Laurie. Oh, thank you, Anne. It's been a real pleasure to
1: talk with you.
0: You can find Laurie at www.afteranaffairofthemind.com. We'll announce when her new book comes out. Like I said before, Larry is AppSats trained, and we appreciate that perspective that only AppSats coaches and therapists can bring. Currently, the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Club is running through the holidays. Betrayal Trauma Recovery Club gives you access to six AppSats facilitated group sessions per week, one every weekday and two on Tuesdays, one Tuesday during the day and one Tuesday evening. By all means, you don't need to go to every single session, clearly. It's available when you need it. Many times you're one of a few women that are in that session. We've had a few sessions where only one woman went and she got personal attention for an hour. So it makes it so that you can get in anytime that you're in trauma. That gives you up to 30 appsats facilitated group sessions per month, which means that you get an appsats facilitated session for less than $3 an hour, which we do because we love you we care and we've been there and we understand what you're going through so register for Betrayal Trauma Recovery Club today if you are interested in receiving one-on-one help from an AppSats coach or joining one of our AppSats facilitated groups visit btr.org you can either click on our schedule and join link or you can see all the services we have available and look at the calendar for what's coming next at our services tab I'd like to thank all of you who helped get us closer to our $5,000 Giving Tuesday goal for the year to cover our expenses. If you have not donated yet, please go to btr.org and donate today. Consider making a monthly recurring donation to BTR. Five or $10 a month will help us to reach more women, to make sure that our technology is up to date, to make sure that we continue to bring these amazing podcasts to you that help bring you peace not just during the holiday season, but throughout the year. If this podcast is helpful to you, please rate it on iTunes. Every single one of your ratings increases our visibility with search engines and helps women who are alone and isolated find us. Know that I care deeply about every one of you who listens and pray for all of us that we can have the strength to do what we know we need to do. And until next time, stay safe out there.